0: Glad to be here today, just uh, thanking the Lord for warm weather. Uh, We we had an extraordinary thing happen in the Pittsburgh area. We seldom have days in the 90s, but this last week, just before coming down here, we had a string of seven days in the 90s with near 100% humidity. It was a preparation time. I thank the Lord for that. I got acclimated. I came down here and I said, it's just kind of weather we have all the, all the time back home. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Not everybody shared that sediment. You can imagine back home they were uh, very distressed at the real hot weather. But not so down here. You're used to that, aren't you? We're talking about spiritual warfare today, because I believe we're in a spiritual war. Every war has a spiritual significance. And the war that we're facing today, well, the Bible says this. As the time of Christ approaches, every day we get closer to the return of the Lord, evil is going to abound. I think we're seeing that in our society. Evil is abounding. But the Bible also says grace will abound more. So we can be thankful for that, can't we? As evil abounds, grace abounds much more. I think the devil took great delight in shutting down churches for two months. Two months or more, some churches are still shut down. But you can see that the social unrest might directly parallel that. You start turning off the light, and darkness rushes in. So we can be glad. I thank Pastor Clark for keeping this church open. I was here um, when that first happened. I remember calling the pastor, and I said, you know, they arrested a pastor in Tampa for opening his church service today. And he says, I know that. We're still having church. you got to love that. You've got to love how God works and how He puts us under stress and test but then delivers us. Well, this, um, this message, first of all, deals with evil in our world. Satan is real. We'll be able to see that in the uh, text. The, he's a liar. He's a thief. He hates the family of God. He targets those who worship the Lord, those who love and serve the Lord. He targets probably pastors, first of all. He goes after them. He goes after them with issues in their family, issues in the church. He'll attack evangelists. He'll attack worship teams. He tries to get into the administration of the church and disrupt things there. And we can be absolutely certain that Satan hates the things of God. And he's determined to disrupt the church any way that he can. Now, you don't hear much about demonology today, but the Bible speaks a lot about this. Jesus' ministry actually involved a sizable amount. Some say as much as two-thirds of his ministry was devoted towards attacking, dismissing, putting the things of Satan aside casting out demons, and all those things that he did, because the devil is very real. And we need to understand that we're in that kind of battle, that we're really in two atmospheres. The atmosphere that is natural, we're used to that. The things of this world, the senses that we have, seeing, touching, tasting, hearing, All those things that are natural to us, but at the same rate, there's a spiritual realm. And that spiritual realm is just as real. Although we may not see it as clearly unless God gives us eyes that can see the things of God, special spiritual insight. There's a passage of Scripture, and it's found in 1 Kings Chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. It says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Let Let me set the stage for you here so you know this is the prophet Elijah who is speaking. Because he was given special insight by the Lord. The king of Syria wanted to come and destroy Israel, and so they had planned the destructive force against Israel several times. And each time Elijah was warned, God told him what was going to occur. And so he went to the king of Israel and he said, don't go down that way because there's an ambush set for you. Oh, and next week don't go over there because the king of Syria is there and he's going to try to defeat you there. And every time the king of Syria set something up where he could determine that they would defeat Israel... Elijah intervened and told the king of Israel what was going to occur. So much so, this dis- disrupted the king of Syria that he called his men together and he says, who's, who's revealing all my secrets to Israel? Who's the traitor around here? Well, his, uh, his men said, it's not of us, we're with you. But we have heard the Elijah, the prophet is telling the king of Israel things that you're planning right in your bedroom at night, things that you're thinking up on your own. He's revealing that to the king of Israel. So the king of Syria gets his army together, finds out that Elijah is in the town of Dotham, and he goes there and he surrounds the town, especially focusing upon the house of Elijah. Elijah. Elijah's servant gets up in the morning and sees that there's a vast army. The Syrian army has surrounded the town, surrounded the house of Elijah. And he goes to Elijah and he says, we're in trouble. Look out there. Look at, all, look at this army. They're all around us. And Elijah has this to say. He prayed and said, Lord, I pray Open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He was given spiritual eyes to see that God had surrounded all of the troops of Syria. Well, they go down to Elijah's house, and Elijah prayed to the Lord, and he says, blind all these men. And the whole army of Syria was blinded. And then he says to the men who have come to capture him, who are now blind, the man you want is not here. I'll take you to him. So he leads the army into the middle of Samaria where they are surrounded by all the troops of Israel. The king of Israel says, Elijah, Elijah, thank you. Can we kill them now? And Elijah says, Is that what you do to captured people? You just kill them? No, feed them and send them home. And so that's exactly what occurred. They sent the Syrian army home And at that point, they never returned again to ambush Israel. Would you have struck with blindness? The point is that there are eyes to see, spiritual eyes, if you could see how God surrounds us. When I was just a young pastor, a member of the congregation gave me a picture. And in that picture... There was a pastor preaching the Word of God at a pulpit not unlike this. And in the picture, there are the saints behind him. Angels of the Lord behind them. And behind the angels of the Lord stood the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the pastor was preaching, there was a rallying behind him. A support group. People who loved the Lord. Jesus Himself was there. We need to understand such is the case today. God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. You have a guardian angel who looks over you. You're going to have spiritual eyes to see that the Lord is there. That He is good. That the angels of God support you. Well, verse 11 in the scripture that we're looking at this morning says that our battle is not against physical powers, but against spiritual. And everything that is spiritual is not necessarily good, that there are forces of evil. Now, I don't hear many messages that deal with demonology, but this passage does. So if we look into this passage, we'll be able to see that there is demonic activity. The Bible calls them vexing spirits. There are three passages that deal with this. Matthew chapter 15, 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Well, you know what the Lord did. He cast the devil out. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 18, They that were vexed with unclean spirits were brought before the Lord and they were all healed. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 16, There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. I'll talk about this in the, in the message later, how you can get rid of a vexing spirit. And it comes by being able to praise the Lord. It's just like uh, Alex said, when you come to church, there can be a lot of things on your mind, but when you begin to praise the Lord, something happens in the midst of the congregation. The Spirit of God begins to work, and He begins to release His power, His influence. Suddenly, the things of this world become strangely dim. And praising God can do that every time. You'll remember that Saul was tormented by an evil spirit and they found that if David came and he played music on his harp, perhaps even sang some of those psalms that he created that we so delight in like you heard this morning. When he did that, the evil spirit departed from Saul. Saul. I love uh, contemporary Christian music. One of my favorite people that writes and sings this is Michael W. Smith. In fact, I believe that when Elijah had the eyes of his servant open, that Michael was probably reading that passage. And he comes up with this song, This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by Him. There's a special anointing on some of those who write such songs. And when you hear those and when you rehearse those through the week, you know how it is when you'll come to church and then the song that's sung, you can't get it out of your mind. Well, that's a good thing. Something's going to be on your mind. Some tune. It might as well be spiritual in nature. One of the times we were at Disney World, we went to this attraction called It's a Small World. It took me weeks to get that song out of my mind. Why not have a spiritual song like that that you can sing over and over before the Lord? There is another rank of demonic influence called the doctrine of devils. They're teaching patterns and thoughts, demonic powers that begin to control how people think. I believe atheists are under this kind of demonic influence, saying there is no God. Hate groups, people that strap bombs around themselves hate the name of God, they're influenced by the doctrine of devils. I believe what we've been seeing in society most recently, much of that is the doctrine of devils. Finally, there's principalities and high-level demons who are territorial they're over entire cities, geographical areas, even entire countries. Such was the case in Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty-one days. But lo, Michael, Michael being the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the king of Persia. Now if you'll remember, that passage speaks about Daniel having received a vision from the Lord. He cries out to God, I can't understand what this means. And immediately he begins to pray to God for the, the answer to what this vision meant. And there was no answer immediately. Immediately. And those of you who understand the significance of fasting and praying, realize this, Daniel went on a partial fast for 21 days. Then the angel of the Lord appears in Daniel chapter 20. Notice he says, Thou wherefore I come unto thee, I now will return and fight with the prince of Persia. He gives Daniel the solution. And then he says, I have to go back. I'm going to continue fighting with the prince of Persian. These are spiritual beings. An angelic realm fighting against that which is evil in the world. And such is the case today, I, I think, in several of our cities. Maybe even entire states. Maybe in portions of the whole world. They're under the influence of territorial demons. The way that you defeat a territorial demon is by gathering the people of God together to pray and fast before the God of heaven so that He can remove those powers. If you're tired of oppression, if you've sensed this in your life at times or you know people that have, If you're tired of uncontrolled anger and depression and hatred, if you're tired of giving place to the devil, there is freedom for you and power for you to fight in the spiritual realm. It requires putting on the full armor of the Lord. when I come down here, at times I fly down. I always try to get a seat that has more room because they pack you like sardines into some of those seats. So we try to get the wing seats. There's usually six of those, three on each side. Sometimes if the plane's a little bigger, there'll be two rows on each side, maybe 12 of those seats. They cost more. But you have leg room, especially if you sit where I like to sit. I like to sit on the outside aisle. I'm not interested in seeing the wings, plane, the plane of the wing. You can't see the ground. I, I like it right in front. You can get up easy if you need to use the restroom. You can stretch your legs, when no one's coming, out into the aisle. And if you've had deep vein thrombosis like I have in both legs, that's a real gift. But before the plane takes off, The stewardess came to me and said, she looked directly at me, and she said, are you able, in case of an emergency, to help people get off this plane? You have to be able to open that door over there. Well, I looked at the people in my row. I don't know why she addressed me. There was a guy sitting next to me who overflowed the seat. And the woman on the end was older and I don't know that she could have done anything. Maybe maybe I fit into that category. I'm not sure. But at any rate, I said yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do it. Whatever it takes to do. So I felt an obligation. I began to listen more carefully. You know, they go over this flight school before you take off, and you're supposed to take out one of these little panels from the seat, and then even go over that with them as they go through all the things that could happen to you in flight. There's actually a um, a life vest underneath the seat. You can reach underneath there and pull it out, place it over your shoulders, and there's a little cord that comes around and you fasten that. Now, it doesn't blow up right away, but if there's a little cord you pull, I'd often like to do that just to see if it works. Pull that cord and it it let's the air in. Now, if that doesn't work, there's a little red thing attached and you can, you can blow into that and before you go out into the water, you have that thing charged up with your own breath. Then what was most striking was, I never paid that much attention before, but if the oxygen level drops because the plane is so high and it can't get low enough in altitude quick enough, The auction bag drops from the ceiling. It's a little yellow bag and it's hanging right there. And the instructions are this. Take the bag and put it on you first. Before you try to help your neighbor. Before you try to help your children. Make sure you have it fastened to your face first. When you hear that, it sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? That you think about you First. But if you're not equipped, you can't help the person next to you. You'll pass out. They'll pass out. Everybody in your row may pass out. Unless somebody takes the initiative to get the oxygen mask on them first. This is an explanation of why each of us need to be absolutely certain we have the full armor of the Lord. Take up the whole armor, it says, so that you can stand. The first thing it says we need to do is to make sure our loins are girded about with truth. The loins cover the section of the body from the waist down towards the knee. It's the part of our body that deals with reproduction. Reproduction. And the belt that was used to gird the warrior actually enabled the warrior to place most of the rest of his armor there. His sword could go there. A little knife in the shield could go there. He could fasten his helmet there if he didn't need to have it on. A very important piece. Girded means to surround and circle. Now I'd like you to know that The Scripture says in James 1.18 that God begats us with the Word of Truth. Your ability to influence other people for Christ directly parallels to the truth of God that you have applied to your own life. Have you ever noticed when you witness, you just can't use Scripture. You have to use what happened to you with the result of that Scripture coming into your life and you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan's a liar. Jesus Himself is the truth. In fact, the Bible calls Him the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through Him. We create the opportunity to witness by the righteousness that comes into our life through obedience to the truth of God. What we know, we need to live. We want to speak the truth and live the truth. And this creates the atmosphere. As you bring every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means you're going to have to carefully scrutinize what you watch on TV. Some of it isn't fit to watch. You're going to have to be careful what you see on the Internet. You can just type in a word and it doesn't really even apply exactly to what you meant and a whole series of things will come up that you do not want to see. And then social media... If you're familiar with Facebook and all those things that are there, you'll realize there's much that is there that is not fit for consumption spiritually. Bringing every thought captive. Fastening your mind more upon the Word of the Lord is one of the key elements to the the weaponry, the armor of God. Verse 15 says, Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on the shoes of peace. These shoes are especially important. The warrior shoes were like football spikes. They had nails coming down out of the soles of the feet so that they could they could support themselves and and they weren't easily moved when they set their spikes. They were able to stand there. Peace and tranquility are spiritual weapons. The Bible says that Jesus, when the storm came, went to the bottom of the ship and fell asleep. When the storm comes, are you at peace? Remember that hurricane that came through? It was, what, two years ago? Was it three years ago now? They had Englewood, most all people, evacuated because the storm surge, if it hit just right, could have brought a tidal wave that would have covered this entire area. I don't know by how many feet. And most people that I talked to left. But Pastor Gary didn't. Do you know what he did? I found this out later. He was on Spinnaker at Karen's house in the midst of the storm, swimming in her pool. That's what I call peace. Peace that passes understanding. (laughs) Most people would leave. But no, not if you're secure in the Lord. God is so good to take care of us. Nothing can touch us. Nothing until our work on earth is done. There's a seal that is placed upon our lives. We can be safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. God is good. And He has peace that passes understanding. Tranquility. You can be in the storm. Just don't let the storm get in you and you'll be safe. Verse 16 talks about above all taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I'm here to tell you, faith is not because of sight. Faith is not because you feel somehow that this is what is going to happen. The shield of faith rests upon the promises of God. What God says He will not violate. He will fulfill. And if you can keep your shield of faith up, the darts of doubt will not get through. There's an acronym that I learned when I was very young. And when somebody asks what faith means, I tell them this. Forsaking all I trust in God. When you can create an acronym for a word, it's easier to remember its meaning. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You see what you have because of what the Lord has done. Finally, in verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, protecting your head. Maybe you saw the... Advertisement. I guess it was an actual true story. It was in the news. A person was riding their bike, and in the process of riding their bike, they ran across an iguana. And the iguana came around the tire of the bike and caught in the forks of the bike. And when that happened, the bike rider flipped over the bike and could have been seriously hurt had not he had on a helmet? You wear a helmet when you're riding a bike. These these motorcycle guys that don't wear helmets are nuts. I have a little scooter. I used to ride these big motorcycles. I don't anymore. They're too fast and too heavy. But I have this little scooter I'll get out and scoot around just the back roads, the ones that come down here by the church, and I get lost in the rotunda. I wear a helmet... of the time because if I wreck that little scooter I could get hurt so you take care of your head that's the most important thing the Bible says that upon the head are crowns that are you can earn them I believe there's a crown of salvation there's a crown of righteousness there's a crown of martyrdom seven crowns in all And the reason why you want those crowns upon your head is because you'll have the privilege in the future of casting those crowns before the feet of Jesus. You're saying when you do that, all the good things that have happened to you and every crown upon your head is the result of what Christ has done in your life. Smart people protect their head. And then there's the sword of the Spirit. It's better than a lightsaber. Because it's real. This sword of the Spirit is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is living. We need to remember that. Powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing Even to the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Revelation says when the Lord returns, a sword will proceed from His mouth. And with that sword, He will destroy the enemies. That we can be sure of. And that sword is the Word of God. How important it is to have that Word in your heart, in your mind. You may not always have the Bible to refer to, but if that Scripture is in your heart, if you've meditated on it day and night, and you understand what the Scriptures are saying, and you can apply it to the situation that you are in, you have a sword that can defeat any enemy. Such was the case when the Lord was fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. I can't imagine what that is like. Fasting 40 days and 40 nights. There's a few other occasions where that occurred in the scripture. Moses was one who did that. If you can imagine that, and being hungry afterwards, and someone coming and saying, Well, you know, if you're the Son of God, why don't you just cast these, make these stones into bread? You can eat these. You can eat, you can do this. You're the Son of God, aren't you? And the Lord replies, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Well, if you're the Son of God, why don't you cast yourself down off this high place? Satan must have taken him there because he could see where he was. And he said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the world. Everything is in my control. In this world, and Jesus says as He quotes the Scripture, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him alone. If you want to put Satan on the run, start quoting Scripture. He will leave you every time. He doesn't have a chance against God's Word. The sword will get used on him if he sticks around. In verse 18, and we're almost done. It talks about praying always and with all prayer and supplication. Praying always, prayer and supplication. I threw in another passage in Second Timothy verse, First uh, Timothy verse, chapter two, verse one, because it adds to prayer, supplication. It adds intercession. And so all three of those, I believe, are weapons that we can use. Praise and prayer. When you pray, if you use the Lord's Prayer as the Lord taught His disciples how to pray, you'll realize how important it is to praise the Lord. Our Father, you're recognizing that God is the Creator of heaven and earth. And everything that there is... And he didn't start like the scientists believe. He started by creating earth first. That's impossible. No, that's what the Bible says. That's what happened. The sun, the moon, and the stars weren't created until the fourth day. Well, how would the earth have any life in it if there was no sun? God was the light thereof. He doesn't need the sun to produce light. He doesn't need the stars to produce light. He is light. So we praise the Lord even when we call Him Father. Hallowed, holy be Thy name. And you're praying for the Kingdom of God to come to earth as it is in heaven. You're giving God the glory. When you praise God, you put Satan on the run. He can't stand that. 2nd Chronicles 20, 21 and 22. And in this passage, when he had consulted with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed singers that they should praise the beauty of holiness. The Moabites and the Ammonites really were relatives. They were Lot's future children through his daughters. You know the Bible is true when they tell you things like that because if you wanted to be spiritual, you'd never put things about your family in the Bible like that. But it's true, and God doesn't pull any punches. He tells you exactly what happened. And here they are, Ammon and the Moabites. They're coming against Israel. They want to destroy Israel, and they're more powerful than Israel. But the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, comes to Jehoshaphat and he says, Don't you worry, you're not going to have to fight this battle. The Lord is going to do it. And so after they fasted and they prayed, this is when Jehoshaphat goes before the people. And he went out the praise and beauty of holiness as they went out before the army He appointed the praisers to go before the army out to meet the Ammonites and the Moabites in battle. And as they began to praise the Lord and sing praises to God, the Lord set ambushes among the Ammonites and the Moabites. And do you know what they did? They began to kill each other. And the army was totally defeated. Because the praise of God went forth first. When you praise the Lord, you are going to be able to defeat the enemy every time. When you begin to praise Him in the midst of struggle and difficulty. When you begin to thank God regardless of the circumstances no matter how difficult it might be. The second thing... That we're told to do, and this is part of the structure of the armor of God, is to have supplication. Supplication is when you're praying that God will supply your needs. Give us this day our daily bread. That's why we pray before we eat. We don't take for granted that the food we have is just there. It's there because God has given it to us. And we thank the Lord because He has been so gracious as to provide for our food, for our clothing, for the car that we're driving. That's not, that's not something everybody has. A house that has air conditioning. What would it be like without that? That's the majority of the world. So we thank the Lord and praise Him for what He has done in supplying our needs. And we continue to ask Him for our needs to be supplied. Not our wants, but our needs. Finally, intercession. Intercession is standing in the place of someone else so that they can have protection or benefit. In Ezekiel 22.30, The passage is declaring that Ezekiel was one who would stand in the gap. I sought a man for a man among them that I should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy. But I found none, the Lord says. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. For I wish myself, Paul says, to be accursed if Israel could just be saved. I find that I can do this if it's someone that I really love. I would take on the sickness that my child might have. I would do that. I love them. I would rather see me hurting than my wife hurting. I can do this for people That I love. It's extremely difficult to think of doing this for people that you don't know. It's hard to think of doing this for people who you don't know, who you probably believe are your enemies. It's hard to think about doing that for people who may not even like you at all, may hate you and want you dead. standing in the gap. The last time I spoke, I had um, vertigo. I just got up and, you know, things were still swinging around in a circle somewhat, but I've noticed that when I get up and I'm not even feeling 100% and I began to preach, things just leave. I feel better. I've I've heard Pastor Gary say this, you know, his back hurt, but when he was up here preaching, you'd never know there was anything wrong (laughs) because somehow God helps and This uh, vertigo was that kind of thing, and I was holding on to the pulpit somewhat. And You know, uh, a week later, I was here, and I'd started to leave the church, and this lady and her husband came up to me, and they said, we were praying for you. In fact, the wife said she was praying for me. And she says, how is your vertigo? And I said, well, it's gone. I don't have it anymore. And she said, well, the strangest thing happened when I was praying for you, I got vertigo. Isn't that something? Now, I don't know if that's intercession, but I sure did thank her. (laughs) When you're willing to help someone to the point where you would take on what they have, that's standing in the gap before the Lord. That's saying, someone's more important than my comfort. I will do this for them. That's what Jesus did. Our Lord and Savior. He loved us while we were yet in sin. He's the greatest intercessor. And He gives us that privilege because we're part of the body of Christ now. And we can love each other to that extent where we would do almost anything we could to help the body of Christ, to help people come to know the Lord. We would stand in the gap. And our Lord and Savior is that perfect example. Thanksgiving is the last weapon. Thank the Lord for all things. Thank the Lord. All the time, in every situation, give Him praise and thanksgiving. And here is the weaponry that we are to have in the world in which we live. I'm here to tell you that that's better than holding a physical revolver. The weaponry of the Lord. It's better than trying to secure your house from the enemy. The weaponry of the Lord. It's better than anything physically that you can do. Though you might do all those things, if you don't have the weaponry of the Lord, you will fail. You need God's Word and truth and the full armor of the Lord. Can we thank God today for His Word praise Him?